Hello and welcome along to the World Game Live. It's fantastic to have your company for this special edition A-League preview show. I'm your host, Lucy Zellich, and joining me, as always, is my colleague over at SBS HQ, Nick Stoll, a.k.a. Stolich. Good day to you, Stolich. I see you're repping Adelaide today. Yes, I wanted to uh, represent, uh, obviously, the A-League for the A-League show, and I really love Adelaide because they sent us jerseys, and you know what? If you want me to wear your jersey, A-League club, I will. I'll wear any jersey in the A-League. No problem at all. MPL, whatever level, send in your jerseys. Send in your jerseys. We would love more and more jerseys, and I'll tell you what we really love for you today is our special guest joining us for our preview show. It's the great Joey Lynch, freelance journaler, journaler. Freelance journalist, I'll get it right, an ESPN Australia correspondent. Joey, welcome to the show, my friend. Ah, thank you guys very much for having me, making my SBS debut. All I have to do is follow up on Simon Hill's triumphant return to SBS. So no pressure whatsoever. <laughs> no pressure. And we are delighted that you could be with us for this massive bumper show that we have today. Of course, it all is in anticipation of the A-League Finally resuming, ladies and gentlemen, for those of you joining us via Facebook or Twitter, it's also a pleasure to have your company here for our special edition program. As always, get your questions and your comments in to both myself, Stolich and Joey, and we'll do our very best uh, to get to them as the show goes on. We'll be going through all of the 11 clubs, hearing from some of the players and the coaches as well, and determining just how we expect them to finish the remainder of this season. Of course, it's going to be absolutely jammed-packed. We've got 27 matches to be played across 34 days. The final series will now begin on Saturday, the 22nd of August. The grand final is scheduled for Sunday, the 30th of August. All of the games will be played across, fingers crossed, we hope, across six venues, uh, and that they will be ANZ Stadium, Bankwest Stadium, Seabus Stadium in Queensland, Central Coast Stadium, McDonald Jones Stadium, and Nestrada, also known as Jubilee Stadium, also here in New South Wales. Of course, there's been a lot of conjecture during the rounds that potentially we have to prepare and develop a contingency plan now that we are seeing COVID cases spike here in New South Wales for a potential move to Queensland. Of course, Greg O'Rourke and Football Federation Australia have come out and said that they are preparing for that. We're hoping it doesn't get to that. Of course, Joe, um, one of the biggest concerns has been for us in this period since the shutdown was would we actually see football resume? But thankfully, we are on the eve of the first ball being kicked, and we're all delighted to be in this situation. But what are your greatest fears looking ahead? Uh, well, it is actually, it's fantastic to see the A-League come out. A day late, of course, we were supposed to be kicking off uh, Thursday night tonight with um, Melbourne Victory versus Western United, but that had to get postponed after last week's uh, fabulous fun times getting across the border. But no, it's fantastic to have it back. I guess, yeah, your biggest concern has to be that the rising cases in New South Wales, in Sydney, forces the A-League to once again relocate. Greg O'Rourke has said that that can happen theoretically uh, as soon as Saturday, should it need to be. So it seems as though the FFA won't get caught with their pants around their ankles once again. But I think if we're talking about biggest fears, I think your biggest fear just has to be if we start seeing infections amongst A-League players and A-League staff and A-League fans that are going to be able to attend those games because... That's going to be the, this very scary virus. We've seen how infectious it is. I mean, I'm down here in Melbourne, so I don't really have to imagine too much how quickly things can get out of control. So I guess that just has to be the biggest fears. I mean, football's important, but at the end of the day, the health and safety of players, staff and fans are even more so. 
You wrote a, a really insightful piece about the border debacle in which three of the A-League, the, the Melbourne A-League clubs, were trying desperately to get out of Melbourne into New South Wales before the border closed. Now, can you, for the fans that um, weren't privy to it, of course, Joey's a fantastic journalist, so make sure that you follow him via Twitter and keep across all of his contributions to football. But um, for those that missed it, Joey, can you tell us sort of what went on at that level and, and what the FFA were saying versus what was actually happening? Well, in general, it just appeared to be a comedy of errors. On Monday night, I remember I was messaging a player asking, well, listen, the situation's looking bad, what's happening? And they messaged me back at around 6.30 at night, we don't know, we've been told to have our backpacks, but we don't know what's happening. And then two hours later, they're summoned to Amy Park. The plan was initially to get them in uh, buses and try to get them over the border at um up there at Albury-Wodonga, even though Yuchuka is technically closer to the border, but Albury-Wodonga is the main crossing. I mean, Melbourne City, I think, for two or three days had a van load of staff and equipment stuck in Albury-Wodonga because they went up earlier and crossed the border. Um, but the plan then turned into getting to the airport, getting on a charter plane that would get them into Canberra. Um, however, as it is wont to do, as I'm sure you know, Lucy, Canberra had fog. Um, so Canberra Airport was closed and the players at one in the morning were deposited back at Amy Park in the buses and sent home uh, and to try again another day. Well, to try again later that night because on Tuesday they tried again. This time all players and staff headed to the airport to try to once again catch a flight to Canberra because... The night before, players, uh, a number of players who lived in designated hotspot areas in Melbourne hadn't initially tried to go because they couldn't get in. But at that point, everywhere in Melbourne was a hotspot. So they all went to the airport. Uh, and this time they got to the airport only to be told that when you do land in Canberra, you will have to undergo a 14-day mandatory quarantine, no training allowed, uh, which doesn't really bode well if you are supposed to be restarting the A-League in a week's time and then playing a series of games to rapidly conclude the season. So went home once again and then we had a series of will they or won't they, the FFA trying to sort out border exemptions and quarantine arrangements, players not knowing what was happening. One player told me that they felt like guinea pigs. Another player on the Monday night messaged me when we were in the bus on the way home describing the situation as state league expletive. Um, uh, eventually... They got across the border on Saturday and had a brief scare when I think when I think one of the players, I think it was a victory player, displayed flu-like symptoms. So they all had to go back into isolation to get tested. But all the tests came back negative. And then they started training again early this week. And they will get out of uh, isolation, uh, what is it, next Saturday, Saturday the uh, 25th, and play their first game that night. So ending the, the ballad of Victorian clubs escaping the state. <laughs> it's been a, like you said, a comedy of errors and just a, a real disaster for those of us sort of observing it on the periphery here because once again, um, you know, as you said, FFA, they were caught with their pants down and we'll be hoping to avoid any further situations in that sense, which is why Stolich, I think it's important. I mean, we were having the exact same conversations about Victoria at the time before it had gone into full lockdown saying we need to get the, 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 the clubs and the players and the staff out of there now. Um, when we spoke to Simon yesterday, he said, well, actually, it wasn't as simple as that 
that because you're factoring in, well, a lot of these clubs don't have the money to just burn um, when you compare it to, say, AFL and NRL. But we're all talking about circumstances where we have been incredibly displaced throughout this pandemic. And, uh, you know, you have to make do with the situation that you're in. And to try and get ahead of this virus is, is virtually impossible because it is so unpredictable and shifting from day to day, if not hour to hour. But what's your feeling now? I mean, as we look ahead, uh, you know, the, the games are kicking off tomorrow. It's about to all get started, but we're seeing so many more COVID-19 cases pop up in New South Wales with hotspots already being labelled. Uh, should we be looking to move it to Queensland now or should we just wait to see how this plays out? I mean, I think you have to wait to see how it plays out because otherwise, what are we going to do? Start playing games at the airport like, you know, the, the famous Brazil ad? It's just going to get ridiculous. Uh, so I think you have to play it as normal for now. Hopefully they keep a lid on um, New South Wales cases. My understanding is that the community transmission, which is the idea of cases being transmitted that they can't trace, they, you know, there's a hot spot in this one pub. Um, my understanding is it's still kind of under control for now. But, yeah, maybe we just keep moving north and eventually the whole league's in Townsville or Papua New Guinea or Darwin or, or something like that. I have no idea. But, anyway, one way or the other, we're going to finish this league. Uh, Georgie Lazo, who's a colleague of ours over at SBS. Uh, hola, Jorge, how are you? His question is, if there's another outbreak, should we just scrap the finals and name Sydney FC champions? By the way, a caveat, Georgie is a massive Sky Blues fan, so of course he's going to say that. But look, God forbid if there is another outbreak and we find ourselves in a situation where it's very difficult to try and play out the rest of the season, what do we do, Joey? Do you can it? Do you, do you rule it null and void? Do you give the title to Sydney FC? What do you do? Well, I'd say if we can't play finals, you can't name Sydney champions. You can call them premiers, but you definitely can't call them champions, but um, the way the system works here. But I guess that is the million-dollar question, but it's a, it's a million-dollar question that the FFA and A-League officials desperately don't want to have to answer. I mean, uh, the elephant in the room, I mean, we probably wouldn't even be getting a seat. Let's be honest, we probably wouldn't even be concluding this season if we didn't need the broadcast dollars associated with putting it back on. So the question has to be, just has to be how far are we willing to go to ensure that those dollars keep coming in? Can we play enough games? Is there, uh, nobody's seen the exact wording of the contract that's been signed. Is there a proviso in there in case of further outbreaks? I mean, also it would depend if the situation gets worse, how is it getting worse? Is it just getting worse in the general community or is it, are we having, as we discussed, is there an outbreak amongst A-League players and A-League staff? Because that you know, if you've got a situation where all of these clubs are playing each other in such short time frames, one positive test and bang, at least half the competition has to go into isolation. So uh, it's it's a very difficult situation. It's one that really, it's one of those unfortunate questions that you can't actually properly answer until it happens because there's so many different possible scenarios surrounding it that it's, you know, really, it's not fair to expect to know what's happened for anybody. Mm, Yami Akadi has written into us by Facebook. Good afternoon to you, Yami. He says, move to Queensland ASAP. Hmm. Interesting one. And I think it's difficult because you, you just don't know how this is going to play out. So I wonder if trying to be proactive is the best way forward or is it to just sit tight and see if we can get a hold of this um, in Sydney. Before we move on to the, the clubs and start breaking things down and what we can expect for the remainder of this season, which will be absolute chaos in terms of scheduling, uh, a whole host of games to be played in a short period of time. I guess one of my concerns is also, and we discussed it yesterday, Solich, about the welfare of the players and the susceptibility of injury. But Joey, being in Victoria, can you give us an insight into what the situation is like there? 
uh, as in terms of what it's just like here for me or the clubs? Yeah, well, just what it's like for you and, and what you've observed and how Victorians are dealing with this lockdown. Oh, well, I'm not going to. It's not very fun. Uh, we're currently in stage three lockdown, so once again, we're not allowed. We're only allowed out of our house for four reasons. Uh, there has been a number of uh, uh, what turned out to be a fake WhatsApp message uh, going around talking about stage four restrictions, which would have been even you know greater than anything we've seen in the country. That did panic a lot of people, but uh, it's uh, it's very. The mood is very sombre in Victoria, I guess, once again, to have to go back into lockdown. Um, it's it's also somewhat difficult for me to actually judge because, I mean, unlike a lot of Victorians, I'm kind of used to, with my 11-year medical history, I'm quite used to any possible infection being able to knock me over. So I'm kind of used to this stuff. But uh, throughout the rest of the state, it's, uh, well, let's just say it's not a very happy mood right now. Mm. Uh, a question coming through from Tonka Tony. Can the A-Leg afford reputational damage to make the season null? Knowing if we started a month ago, the season would have been finished. It's an interesting question, Stolich, but, um, you know, why couldn't we start a month ago? I mean, we've discussed this at length about all of the extenuating circumstances surrounding the, the resumption of the competition, but why couldn't we get this started earlier? Well, the, the broadcast deal was a big hurdle. They they needed to sort that out. Um, so obviously, I you know maybe they waited too long to sort that out, and maybe that has to be the case. But you know, negotiations are tough, especially with something as important as this. Um, you know, I think the fact that we do have the league coming back, and you know, they have at least sorted out the pay for next season. Uh, is important because I know a lot of the players, you know, you talk about player welfare. One of the biggest concerns for the players was, okay, sure, we'll finish this season. What's happening next season? How much money are we getting next season? You know, a lot of people had to make plans on that. And we're already seeing implications of that. Obviously, some of the players that are starting to pull out and head back to Europe, one of the reasons that you would be seeing that is because of um, the new pay deal. So, yeah, we're already seeing the implications. And we're set to see some implications and, I suppose, repercussions, uh, the ripple effects of this, Joey, we're anticipating will impact the, the, the next few seasons at the very least. But what could we expect to see once this competition finishes? Where do we land on that? I mean, I know there's discussions about the competition starting for 2021 in, a, I think it's about November or December. That hasn't been finalised just yet. Uh, but, you know, what impacts could we see this have on the A-League in, in the short term? Well, in the short term, I think there's going next year's salary cap. You're expecting to see a massive contraction of it. I know some people I've talked to have said that maybe we'll see a contraction to 2005 levels in the A League salary cap, which would be an absolutely massive cut down. I think in a short term situation like that, you would probably see uh, the sudden uh, drip of NPL players currently being signed by A-League clubs. That would turn into a torrent maybe as you start to need to cut down wages and bring in cheaper players. And then, of course, there would be a number of A-League players out of contract. We've all seen the research of just about how much churn there is in the A-League, how many players are coming out of contract in every season. All of a sudden, they might be looking at a situation where their wages are about to be absolutely slashed. And against the backdrop of all of that, you will, the, you will have A-League clubs and the FFA having to renegotiate another CBA with the Players Union. And we've already seen uh, during negotiations about a short-term extension of this year's CBA, just how difficult that was. I mean, it kind of got brushed aside by all of the drama surrounding Fox Sports broadcasts, but at the beginning of the A-League shutdown, we had the Players Union threatening to sue A-League clubs because they uh, were standing down players and there was we didn't see 
a unified move to stand down playing groups like we did in the NRL and the AFL and negotiate like that. So he, heading into those CBA negotiations, I can't imagine that the parties are all going to be lovey-dovey and let's all make it work and uh, everybody's on the same page. So in the short term, a lot of uncertainty and potentially latent bad feelings will be uh, heading into the next few months. Adrian Archuli, one of our colleagues at SBS, uh, a resident pest as well, if we can say quite politely. Adrian Archuli, Joey, has Greg O'Rourke has had his beer with A-League memes yet? He wants to know. <laughs> I, I have no idea. One would have to ask A-League memes about that. I do I haven't been in this. They only followed me on Twitter about a fortnight ago, so I'm actually quite Boo, mad about that. Boo, memes. Boo. They're actually joining yeah. us on the screen What's that all about? Why did you only start following him a week ago? That's shit from you guys. That's terrible. Can I say that? Can yeah. I be entirely honest? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. memes also want to know, Nick Stroll, should A-League memes be running the A-League social media? Yes, I think they do a much better job than the uh, current people doing it. I, I think they're one of the best things about uh, following the A-League. And I love that they tune in every week. That's how you do it. You butter them up and now they're going to say something nice about me in the comments. Yeah, well, maybe they can be joined by these girls. <laughs> yeah, the ladies league. Where are our ladies league girls? They're always buzzing about as well. And like to the more contributors that we have in the game at the moment, I think the better. And as we spoke to Simon Hill yesterday, for those of you that might have missed it, you can download it um, and watch it on demand, or you can also listen to it via podcast. But he said we need more diverse and, uh, and a, a far wider range of voices contributing to football. And uh, that's why we're delighted that we can chat with everyone here today. But guys, we've got so much to get through in this bumper special edition A League preview. So I want to get started and effectively we're going to go through the clubs uh, club by club and find out just how they're doing and, and what we can expect for them um, for the remainder of the season. And, of course, I want to start with Sydney FC. They're first on the ladder on 48 points. Their last five games, they've drawn twice, they've won twice and they've lost once. Their last match was on the 21st of March away to the Wanderers where they drew 1-1. They were one of the clubs, one of the few clubs, Joey, not to stand down players and staff. And when we caught up with Stevie Corica, the great Bimby, we congratulated him on that because it was a very rare feat in the climate when the majority of clubs made the decision to stand down those players and staff. Now, their first game, of course, is against the Phoenix. That's the the opener tomorrow. Um, effectively, if they do win this game, Joey, they could seal the Premier's plate. But a third-placed Phoenix who have six regular season games to play compared to second-placed Melbourne City's three can still displace, technically still displace Sydney FC on goal difference, but they'd have to win their final five games. This is where it get tr gets tricky and hope Sydney lose their last five. Right now, the likelihood of that happening is actually pretty crazy when you consider. But Sydney FC, it seems business as usual. They're on track to create history, uh, now becoming the most successful A-League club if they manage to get the Premier's play and win the championship. But thoughts around them and what we can expect. Is it all but done? Well, I'm not going to say it's all but done, given that this is 2020 and 2020 makes fools of us all. But... um. I guess the strengths of Sydney FC coming out of this uh, COVID enforced suspension, they're kind of just the strengths that Sydney FC have had over the past few years. You know, continuity, keeping that squad together, um, mental strength. This is a Sydney FC are a squad that every player that wearing a sky blue shirt knows exactly where they need to be, exactly what they need to do, exactly what the man next to them's job is. And mm. one would think that 
that is going to be one of uh, the best strengths you can possibly have heading into such a bizarre situation like we are about to go into. Now, of course, conversely, you know, this is, as I said, 2020. Maybe that all falls apart when they come back just because stranger things have happened. But you would have to think that they are well-placed with retaining their entire squad, retaining their coaching staff, retain, you know, just retaining that mental edge, coming in with a cushion so they know they can take one or two games to get going and really, you know, rev up and come home. So I would say that they would be, I don't think it's fait accompli, it's probably fait accompli that they'll win the premiership. I wouldn't say it's fait accompli that they'll win the championship, but they're the prohibitive favourites to do so, in my opinion. Mm, they certainly are. And, Stolich, so much of that um, resilience and that mental strength that Joey's talking about there stems back to the Graham Arnold era, who really solidified that and, and, and stamped his imprint on that team very much so while he was there, incredibly successful. And we're still seeing a lot of the effects, I suppose, of the Graham Arnold era within this Steve Corica side. But have you noticed any changes that Bimby has potentially imprinted on this team yourself, or is it still very similar to what we saw under Arnie? Uh, I mean, it's still it's still definitely a continuation of what we saw under Arnie, uh, you know, and credit to Corica for keeping that up. Um, but, you know, they are, like Joey was saying, they're the strongest team. They have the best attack in the league. They have the best defense in the league. They're only considered a 0.8 goals per game uh, this season. So it's phenomenal. And they've had the least disruption in terms of not only in terms of your squad, but also the fact that they haven't had to leave their house. They're in their home city. So they have all the advantages coming in. They were already the favorites, but I think this even further solidifies their favoritism. And I would be very surprised. Well, obviously, they didn't win the premiership, but then even the championship, I think they're the strongest team and I struggle to see anyone knocking them off. Uh, we've discussed their strengths, but, Joey, any weaknesses within this Sydney FC side? Well, I think in general, we, we've seen throughout the season, clubs maybe haven't done it for whatever reason, but you, there are ways in which you can attack this Sydney team. I think maybe the primary way to do it is maybe give them the ball um, because they have at times when they're not able to pounce on the opposition's errors and use that mental strength and they are forced to take the initiative and create something of their own, you have at times seen them fall apart and especially they have at times been able to be bullied out of the midfield battle as well. I think uh, they're not going to face them again in the A-League, but we saw that with Yokohama, how Yokohama were able to dominate the midfield. And that's maybe why when I look at maybe potential challenges to Senior C, and we'll, we'll touch on them in a bit, but I think maybe that's where a side like Wellington Phoenix can present a real challenge because they have such a solid midfield and they have the ability to dictate tempo and dictate the turns in that midfield battle and that's maybe where you can get Sydney FC. One one thing I'll say on uh, you know Sydney FC and their possession, it was interesting, I looked up the stats, Sydney FC have taken the least shots in the competition this season but they still have the best attack. So you know you can say obviously Adam LaFondra and Barbarossa is a great strike force and they're very clinical strikers but yeah they don't create a whole lot of opportunities as much as you would expect for a team at the top of the table but again what they do, they do well, and so far it's working. And they're very clinical. Uh, players to look out for or that have really captured your imagination throughout this season, Joey. I know that Costa Barbarousas was mentioned there. Of course, he defected from Melbourne Victory to the Sky Blues. I think he's done outstandingly well. I'm a big fan of Adam LaFondra. He's just a serial goal scorer, someone that's um, you know that's going to get the job done for you week in, week out. But who's really caught your eye? 
Um, well, I am. A, he hasn't really played that much, unfortunately, but I am a big fan of Luke Ivanovic. Maybe he gets a run at some point during the regular season coming home. I think he's a great talent. Actually, uncapped for Australia's junior representative sides, which I can't actually believe. But um, I think as well, just the one, the bloke, and I think we're going to hear from him in a little bit, just Alex Wilkinson, what he does in the Sydney defence, it's understated. But for mine, he's probably one of, if not the best central defenders going around in the A-League, despite his advanced age, just the importance that he carries both from a leadership and defending perspective is just so understated, but you can't really sing the praises of it more. Mm, and hugely experienced as well and such a top guy. Uh, you mentioned there. Let's hear from him now, Stolich, and what he had to say uh, ahead of tomorrow's game. Yeah, look, it's been a little bit tough. I think a lot of the boys kept themselves pretty fit over the break, which was great. So it sort of put us in a good position when we came back to start. You know, uh, I guess pre-season's always tough, but in a way it's nice that it's only been three or four weeks and now we're getting into the games, which is a little bit different from a normal pre-season. So in a way it's been refreshing and, um, you know, we've done hard work, but now uh, we get the rewards of playing games pretty quickly, which is good. Given your position on the table, what targets have the club set for the remainder of the season? Oh, look, first and foremost is to, to win the Premier's plate. We're, we've got ourselves pretty close now and we just have to win a couple more games. So that's the first target. Then obviously after that it's, you know, concentrating on the final series and, and hoping to go back-to-back -back, um, and win the championship again. Yes, they'll certainly be desperate to do that. Great to hear from Wilco there. Uh, business as usual, it's been for Sydney FC. As I mentioned there, uh, their first match is against Wellington Phoenix. Tomorrow at Jubilee Stadium, kickoff is at 7.30pm. Their following fixtures will see them away to Jets, home to City, Adelaide and the Raw. So pretty decent run, you'd have to say, Joe. Can you see any real challenges there? Not, the not for the Premier's play. They might slip up once or twice because... As I said, this isn't a normal season. Anything can happen, but they should win the Premier's plate quite comfortably. Anything to add there, Stolich, before we move on? No, I mean, we talk about the um, congested season that a lot of these teams have, but when you actually kind of look at it, um, you know, Sydney FC, they play two matches in five days and then they have an 11-day break uh, and then they finish with four games in 15 days. So those last four games might see rotations, maybe we'll see a bit of a slip-up, but they might have even won the Premiership by then. So, yeah, no, I can't see them slipping up. One more comment from Tonka Tony with respect to Sydney FC. Andrew Redmayne has matured to take the sticks since Vuka left. The 0 0.8 goals per game is a good reflection of this. Uh, you'd have to agree with that, Joey, given that, uh, you know, once Vukovic left, they were some really big shoes to fill. He was a fantastic keeper, of course. He's, he's in Europe at the moment doing well, recovered from this injury that he had. But, uh, you know, for Redmayne coming in, it was it seemed to be something that I thought potentially could be a bridge too far for him as the first-choice keeper. But he has solidified that position and really proved his worth. No, he's absolutely gone. He's turned into a high-quality A-League goalkeeper whilst in Sydney. I mean, somewhat, you know, I remember watching him at Melbourne Heart when he looked anything but that. But just to see the transformation that he's gone through, it's really been quite something over the years to just see. And, of course, he did get himself a Socceroos cap as well for his troubles. Yeah. So predictions, just quickly, we will see them. We're expecting them to, to claim the Premier's plate, but Stolich, you're expecting them to, to win the championship too? Yes. Yes, I am. Joey? I have them winning the Premier's plate, but I don't have them winning the championship. And as we go through the show, we'll find out who Joey does have <laughs> winning the championship. Let's move 
move on to the second place, Melbourne City, on the ladder. They're eight points behind City. Their last match was on the 23rd of March away to the Jets at McDonald Jones Stadium where they lost a 2-1. Now, we have seen a loss there. Former Athletic Bilbao captain uh, Markel Susayeta has terminated his contract with Melbourne City and will not return for the remainder of the season due to family reasons relative to the pandemic. Their first match, of course, will be against Sydney FC at home on the 1st of August, if you want to call it home, effectively. The club were forced to quarantine, as we've discussed earlier, for 14 days after the border debacle. And uh, it's interesting because, you know, Melbourne City, they have all of the resources, they have all of the potential to become an absolute force in the A-League. And I think this is probably one of the first times that I've started to become convinced of that, Joey. Why do you think that is? Well, I think this Eric Mombats plays a big part in that, mm-hmm. that I think when he's brought in, um, he's... So he's shown that he's been an upgrade over Warren Joyce. Warren Joyce maybe got them up to a certain point. I think maybe what we saw with Warren Joyce, I know he wasn't a very popular figure amongst Melbourne City fans, but I think maybe he established a bit more of a culture of accountability and professionalism. And I think what he did was he raised, he didn't necessarily raise Melbourne City's ceiling, but he certainly uh, raised their floor. So they can't be as bad and collapse as badly as we have seen Melbourne sides do in the past. Now, don't get me wrong, this is still a Melbourne Heart slash Melbourne City side. So they absolutely are prone to still going to pieces at a moment's notice, but just not quite as much as years in the past. So I think that's an important thing. And of course, the addition of Jamie McLaren, I think he he had a few uh, lean uh, patches during the season when he was increasingly being uh, isolated and left alone up front for Melbourne City. I remember one game when Perth Glory came to Melbourne and the poor bloke, he's not that tall and he's trying on his own on an island against Perth Glory's three giant centre-backs. It looked like he was an under-eight playing under-14s. It was something like that. So he has had some frustrations, but he still, on his day, is probably the best poacher in the competition. He can get you a goal. Um, we've seen, uh, like, Curtis Good, I think, has had an excellent season. Harrison Delbridge started the season very well, did kind of fall away, but they've also got depth. So I think they've raised their maturity level and professionalism in a little bit, and we're seeing that rewarded this season. How have you rated Luna, Stolich? Your thoughts around him? Uh, yeah, I think I think he's really a really good player. I think he's a really exciting player. I think there was a game uh, against the Jets they played away. Um earlier in the season where he was fantastic. Uh, I think Susayeta is a loss. Um, I really started to think that they were starting to, you know, get a really nice fluid front three, front four there uh, behind McLaren, I guess. Um, And it's been very interesting to see it. But, yeah, Luna is a talent. I just wonder, you know, and, Joey, maybe you can answer this. Are we going to see any of the younger players kind of come through? We talk about City mm-hmm. having this amazing academy and, you know, ever since Daniel Arzani came through, I think there's always been a ex- expectation that, oh, what else can they produce? There's They've only got three games uh, left, I believe. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. What, what, will, uh, what will we see? Will we see any young players rotated in? Now, I absolutely would love to see a whole bunch of young players uh, rotated in. I go out, I've seen a lot of Melbourne City youth games. I, I rate quite a lot of the young talent they've got there. Muni Najjar, Rami Najarin, uh, Stefan Kolakowski. I think there's some really talented players. We saw Kolakowski have a little cameo against Brisbane Raw earlier in the season. And in response, Dave Davutovic in his column compared him to Daniel Arzani. So we've seen the talent there. However, I think 
given that City only have three games left, they'll need to establish some sort of rhythm before finals. And given that they are also in a pitched battle for second place, which probably carries more importance for Melbourne City than a lot of other sides because that second place will get them into the Asian Champions League, which is a long stand, assuming it's played next uh, next campaign. Um, that will get them into that competition, which has been a long-standing aim of the club, a desire of the City Football Group to get into Asian competition. So I feel as though we might see... Uh, just the standard starting eleven run out all three times for Melbourne City to establish um, uh, to establish some rhythm and not leave anything for chance. Unfortunately, because I would absolutely love to see a whole bunch of these youngsters given the chance to get out there and show what I know they're capable of showing. Mm, I feel like Melbourne City Stolich, they do have a reputation for developing young players, but they don't have a habit of retaining them. I know that Najad, who you just mentioned there, has signed a deal with uh, MacArthur. That story came out recently as well. But they've had a lot of good young talent come through their doors, but I haven't exactly seen them survive with the club. Now, I know that we don't necessarily have the kind of ecosystem in the A-League that's conducive to allowing for long-term contracts with players. But uh, what are one of the things that you'd like to see Melbourne City do more of going forward in addition to giving more youngsters a chance? Well, I mean, I guess not collapsing crucial moments. Uh, like, you know, this is this is probably the year. This is going to be one of their best chances to, you know, like we say, finally qualify for the ACL, finally make a grand final, possibly win. So, um, you know, they really need to build on or at least capitalise on the advantages that they have, the financial advantages, the infrastructure advantages that they have. So that, that's what I would like to see. Um, you know, I thought we saw some good football from them. Um, Florin uh, Berenger playing really good football uh, kind of in the last five or six games. It felt like he started to find his feet, you know, and I think uh, that's really important that you, you foreign players are starting to make the most of their opportunities. So let's see, let's see. But I, I'm not sure if we will see it. Okay, well, their following fixtures, as we mentioned, their first game is against Sydney FC, but their following fixtures are against Adelaide United and Western United. So you'd like to imagine that they will have a good run in for that. Um, let's hear from Jamie McLaren. We've spoken about him there, but we, of course, asked the players what have been the most challenging aspects, how challenging, of course, it has been throughout this period to engage in what's been a, a mini pre-season and given their position on the table, how do they expect and what targets have they set for themselves um, for the remainder of the season? Yeah, it's been uh, pretty difficult. Obviously, the last few months have been the unknown. Um, no club has experienced anything like it. Um, but, you know, we had a great program by, sent by our sports scientist team to, to make sure we kept ticking over and, and making sure that our fitness stays to its peak. And uh, we come back training on the pitch a few weeks ago and obviously with the disruptions last week hasn't been ideal, but uh, confidence is throughout the group. We're uh, back on the pitch now and uh, ready to go. And um, given your position on the table, what targets have the club set for the remainder of the season? Look, we want to finish as high as we can, um, win as many games. Uh, we came into this sort of break with some decent form as well. So moving forward, it's going to be going to be challenging. But, uh, you know, we've got a good break between games. and. Mm, they certainly do have a good break between games and that could be their advantage. Joey, you had something to add? Yeah, I just... Uh... Talking about Melbourne City developing youngsters, it reminded me of something and I wanted to look it up. Ahead of the 2018-2019 A-League season, Melbourne City uh, had eight representatives in the Young Socceroo squad. Anthony Lesiotis, James Delianov, Josh Cavallo, Dylan Piraeus, Rami Najarine, Muni Najjar, Connor Metcalf and Nathaniel Atkinson. If reports are correct, 
come the end of the season, only two of those uh, will remain with the club, Remy, uh, Remy Najarine and Connor Metcalf. The rest will have departed to other A-League clubs. So that does illustrate the challenge. They've, they can produce them, keeping them is another matter entirely. Why aren't they keeping them, Joe? That's what I want to know. I mean, they again, we talk about their resources and their ability to, to, to produce these players and, and world-class players effectively in world-class facilities. I wonder if the, the, the salary cap has a lot to answer for in this, but why not hang on to them and look to develop them and, and retain them? Well, I think you've hit the nail on the head in the case of the salary cap as it currently stands. I remember having chats with Melbourne Victories uh, head of the academy, Drew Sherman, about how the salary cap, um, once players hit a certain age, it just doesn't make sense to keep them around anymore because they suddenly go from costing you a small amount to a large amount. That's certainly one thing. But the other thing is just if you are a club like Melbourne City who, let's face it, also tend to hoard the best talent in the state of Victoria and they recruit not just the best of Victoria but around the country, there are going to be some that play out and you've also seen situations wherein just the risk-averse nature of the A-League, you haven't given these kids the chance to have a run and really established what they want to do and there's always going to be some level of attrition but yeah maybe there just wasn't amongst maybe Warren Joyce didn't really trust them as much as he could have done and given them a run you know it also hasn't helped that as I mentioned all of these young Socceroos uh, they were away at the beginning of the 18-19 season so they basically had they were away for two weeks so they weren't fit when they came back in round three of the season and Warren Joyce never trusted them. So there's also those problems with scheduling internationals and all of that sort of stuff in Asian tournaments um, that they have to go away to. We saw all the Oli Roos this season disappear for Olympic qualifying, which set them behind the eight ball. So that's another problem that maybe will be addressed if the A-League does make its mooted move to winter. Mm, Stolich, very briefly, how do you assess the likes of Brillante coming across from Sydney FC and starting into the midfield there for City? Uh, yeah, he, he's been okay. I think he's a slight downgrade on Braddon, which seems like it was kind of the switch uh, made. And I think Sydney FC have got the better end of that deal. Mm, Joey, agree or disagree with that? Uh, yeah, I would say, well... They're very similar players in what they both can and can't do. But, yeah, given what Sydney needs Bratton to do versus what City would like um, uh, Brilliante to do, I think Sydney have gotten a better side of the deal. Mm, interesting. Okay, well, looking ahead, it will be um, fascinating to see just how much more Melbourne City have got to give in these remaining three games for them. Where do you see them finishing, Stolich? Um, I reckon in third. I think Wellington will jump them. Woohoo, Joey. Are they the mystery uh, team to be performing in the final for you? No, I, I have been finishing either... Oh, I reckon they will scrape into second just because it is so important for them to get that Asian Champions League place. They will sell out for it, uh, but I don't have them winning the championship either. Mm, okay, well, special mention, I have to say, also goes to their keeper, uh, the young Tom Glover, I believe it is, uh, has just been, for me, I think, uh, one of the, the real shining stars to emerge there and potentially great keeper looking ahead for the future. Let's uh, skip across to Wellington Phoenix now. Third on the ladder, they are four points behind City. The club, you'd have to say, were in exceptional form prior to the shutdown, winning four in a row. Their last match 
was a 3-0 win at home for Melbourne Victory on the 15th of March. They've also, during this period in the build-up to their competition resuming, uh, they've been training at the Wanderers state-of-the-art facility after the Western Sydney side were very gracious in lending it to them. Their first match, as we mentioned, will be against Sydney FC at Jubilee Stadium from 7.30pm. You know what? They've really surprised me, I'd have to say, Stolich. Uh, They were a team that I didn't expect to perform all that well. Uh, You know, Mark uh, Mark Rodan had done fantastic things with them while he was there and I thought oh is this going to be a bit too much of a challenge for Upul Tale to, to take that on in his first uh, appointment as a head coach in the A-League but he's done it and done it well. Uh, mm. What have been your thoughts on, on Wellington Phoenix up until this point? Well, I think you said it well. And, you know, we can talk about, um, I think uh, someone pointed out on Twitter yesterday that they lost their kind of first four games. But then since then, they're basically, I think, three points behind Sydney FC in the table if you kind of ignore the first uh, four games. So, you know, they have been uh, very good. But I would uh, caveat that information with the fact that they have the second best home record and they've picked up 25 points at home, whereas they've only picked up 11 points away from home. Obviously, now they don't have that advantage of being at home, but also the fact that teams have to travel such a long way to play them. So uh, I wonder how that will affect them. I wonder how it will affect them, the fact that they've had to come to Sydney twice and be stuck in hotels for so long. Maybe that brings them together. Maybe that creates a more united team. Maybe it doesn't. Maybe it has the opposite effect. It's going to be hard to see. One thing uh, as well we have to consider is um, I think Ufuk Talley said that uh, Davila and Hooper won't play 90 minutes against Sydney. So, you know, maybe we can't judge them too much uh, on this Sydney FC match. Um, I think Kakachi is also in talks with an overseas club. So it remains to be seen whether he'll finish the season and he's such a good, young, important player for them. So uh, Talley has done an exceptional job. Um, but do they have enough to go all the way? Let's see. I don't know. I suspect Joey may think so. Mm. Joey, do you? Mm. Well, yeah, I think I've been really impressed by Wellington Phoenix this year, especially as the season go on. And Matty Steinman and Cameron Devlin, I think that base of the Wellington Phoenix midfield that they have is probably quite possibly the strongest in the league just for what those two allow Phoenix to do going forward. The, the, what they give the likes of uh, Devia and Hooper and, and earlier this even Ball to do just was so impressive. And I think that's coming into finals time when you need to be able to not just react, but take games by the scruff of the neck. Wellington are able to do that. Ufuk Tale has done a masterful job in his first season in the season where many people, I think maybe even I did at the beginning of the season, were maybe expecting them to get the wooden spoon. And I think the possibility of them travelling uh, and having to be away from home is a factor, but also looking at their run home of their remaining games, only two of them are actually coming against sides based in New South Wales. So for a lot of the sides that they'll be playing from this point forward, they're going to be away from home as well. Um, mm. After that, of course, that opening Sydney game, you know, they've got Perth Glory afterwards. Perth Glory are in the exact same situation as Wellington. Uh, Adelaide will be in a hub. Brisbane will be in a hub. Um, the game against Newcastle, okay, technically Newcastle are a New South Wales team, but it's a Jubilee Stadium. So there's mm. no real home or away advantage or anything like that. So I think also the fact that unlike maybe a lot of the other teams, the Knicks have known they're going to be in a hub for quite a while. 
they'll have been able to adjust for it. Their sports scientists will have been able to plan for it. Ufuk Tale, we've been, and I've been seeing his praises, he'll have had a number of weeks, months to plan, all right, how am I going to sort this out? How am I going to keep the boys together? How am I going to organise it? So, yeah, I, I'm bullish on Wellington Phoenix's chances for the rest of the season. Can we talk about the advantage or the disadvantage? Uh, you know, for the Sydney teams, obviously, not having to be displaced, but the the disadvantage for these teams having to come across Dulwich and to, to be in these hubs and to not have their home ground advantage and the, the full support of their fans. I mean, I know that it's a level playing field in terms of everyone's had the same amount of time effectively in this odd pre-season um, that they've had to engage in, barring the, the three Melbourne clubs who probably, you could argue, had a bit more of an extended period. Um, but, you know, what will this potentially do for, for those sides coming in and that aren't Sydney-based? I think it's a big test of team chemistry. And how you know the group's relationship is because if you're a, if you're a good group, I think you're gonna maybe thrive in this kind of tournament-like thing. It's almost like going away to an international tournament. I wonder if there are problems within the group. Does that exasperate over these weeks and weeks and weeks? And you know the stress about being away from home and the fact that you can't see you know your partner or or whatever your friends, whatever it is, you're away from familiar surroundings. It's actually another reason why I think CNFC are going to do so well. Not only are they at home, but also they have such a tight knit group. You know, we uh, spoke to Luke Braddon two weeks ago now or a week ago, and you know we saw how tight that group was. So I, I don't know. I think I think that's going to be it's going to be a big test of uh, team chemistry. Mm, Facebook users, Twitter users, answer our question. Wellington, are they capable of going all the way? Jesse Flavel has written in and said injuries will be a major factor. I touched on that earlier. Um, that's something that I'm really concerned about, particularly, Joey, when you consider that, say, in comparison, and we discussed it on the show yesterday, uh, you know, having a look at the injury rate in the NRL at the moment, you've got up to 13 players already that have pulled up with ACL injuries, which is really quite terrifying when you consider it. You know, Simon Hill yesterday talking about the, the rate of soft tissue injuries that we could potentially be expecting as well. Is that something that's going to be quite worrying uh, for a lot of these clubs? It's, it's going to be quite worrying for a lot of clubs, I think, for a couple of reasons. One, because depth is already being tested with pl players from an, a number of clubs leaving, um, and also because by nature you've got players in hubs and it's going to be very difficult to bring outside reinforcements in. And, you know, it's not if an injury happens to City or Victoria Western, it's not like they can call a kid from the academy up to plug a hole at even training because they'd have to do a two-week quarantine. Um, mm. And it's also the fact that because we are in a situation where we are being forced to use a limited number of stadiums the playing surfaces at these stadiums they could especially at Bankwest Stadium which is hosting a series of games and NRL games mm. um, if those surfaces degrade that could be uh, another injury risk to players you, you you're expecting to plant and go in one direction you accidentally step in a divot and bang your ankle's gone that could be one of the problems that uh, players are facing in an already very difficult time Mm, Bradley Jerd, Wellington, big chance to go all the way. Hassan Bertan, Hassan, I know that you're a Melbourne City fan, so your opinion doesn't count. He said Wellington will not go all the way. <laughs> Josh Convery, something very different, Josh. He said Jets will win the league. <laughs> Yeah, that'll be interesting to see that one happen mathematically. Um, but I want to hear from, uh, a, you know, a really um, a great player for me that's been over at Phoenix uh, for this short period of time here. It's Stephen Taylor. And this is what he had to say about the challenges that they've gone through in the preseason, what they can expect for the remainder of the season. It's been very challenging. I think uh, the quarantine, uh, first off, was very tough. 
the boys on a day-to-day basis where it was long days. You wake up early to go for breakfast. Uh, we try and do a little session uh, on the pitch, but all day, the, the amount of free time there was, and thankfully for us, we had a games room where a lot of lads could go in there. A few of the guys had their uh, their PlayStations, Xboxes, so they can keep themselves busy. But the main thing for me was making sure the boys aren't isolated and uh, not feeling that they're, they're too bored or um, too much time on their hands. So I think it was good by the club. Um, they always made sure everything was sorted out for the boys in the afternoons if, if we needed it, uh, to go to the gym. Um, we had a pool there. We were pretty lucky. We had our own little compound where we had access to, and I think it did help. But as a as sleeping conditions are concerned, it wasn't the greatest. Um, it's like being back when you're white, yes, and uh, you have to deal with that. But listen, we made we made uh, we made it we made do of it, and it was it was a tough time. The boys have come through it, and now we're into a hotel, more comfortable here. Um, so we get looked after really well. So we can't complain. The club have obviously uh, they expect massive things from uh, the players, but they have said as well. You know, we've lost the momentum like every uh, team that are ahead of us as well. I think with the situation that we're all in, everyone's on an even keel now, and it's down to us. You know, we've got to try and uh, start well, uh, not like we did at the start of the season where we weren't picking up points. It's, it's like a little mini tournament. You know, you have to get these points on the table. Uh, so it will be difficult, I think, for everybody. But like I said, all the teams will be feeling uh, the pressure. And we'll be under, um, obviously, with the fitness side of things, how will they deal with the injuries that they're going to probably get? You know, a lot of games are in a short period of time. Um, are they going to be in top physical condition? Uh, will remains to be seen. It's going to be difficult. You look at the European leagues, how they cope with it. Um, but, you know, we are we are in decent condition in training, um, but we need more games. And I think the first six games, especially before finals football, Hopefully, we'll build ourselves up and get ourselves in a position where we can uh, challenge it to win it. Stephen had a lot of really great things to say there, but I got so distracted from the start. Of what was apparently, I'm thinking, a cat or was it a player? I mean, I don't know. Where are these? <laughs> oh, that was brilliant. That was great. A lot of people writing in uh, A League memes. Is that a cat or a child? <laughs> Good morning. Good afternoon to you. One of our regulars here on our Facebook Live. Um, and also welcome to those of you joining us by Booty. He said, who's Kat? L-O-L. <laughs> oh, that's brilliant stuff. Um, you know, but big fan of Stephen Taylor. Um, you know, I think he's really contributed to the success that Wellington and Phoenix have had so far this season. Uh, you know, can we see them going all the way? Stolish before we move on to the next block. Uh, yeah, it's possible. Uh, just like I was saying before, I'm just uh, worried that they won't. Uh, have enough to to get with Sydney, but you know I think uh, someone like I'm very interested to see how uh, Devere goes. Obviously, he would think he was away for a while back home. Uh, now he comes back. Let's see how he does because he's so crucial. I mean, I guess I would say he's probably their best player and one of the best players in the league. So, you know. They are capable of doing it. It would be an amazing story. And I think a lot of people in the comments were making good points about what implications it would have for the ACL and all kinds of problems uh, that it could cause. But that's probably for another show. Mm, Otherwise, we'll be stuck here all day. Can they go all the way, Joe? Where do you see them finishing up this season? Uh, I have them finishing third. But if they can pick up where they left before the season was suspended, I would have them winning the championship. 
You would have. Shout out to Piscopo as well. I enjoyed seeing a glimpse of brilliance from him throughout the season too. I want to move on to the fourth team now. Fourth on the ladder, they are Brisbane Raw. They're one point behind the Phoenix coach. Robbie Fowler, of course, terminated his contract citing family reasons due to the pandemic, but told UK TV outlet Soccer AM in June that the club weren't really helping him to get a flight back at the minute. Now, it's interesting because the club then since came out and said, well, Robbie has made the decision not to return. So whether you agree or disagree with his decisions, I think it's been interesting to see some of the fallout. Um, former Raw striker Roy O'Donovan told the Fox Football podcast recently, honestly, I thought he should have come back. I think it's a bit selfish. I think he should have finished the season off, done it properly. I thought Fowler was going to be a really attacking style of football that was going to suit me, but it didn't really in the end. Of course, we know that... Uh, O'Donovan was enticed from Newcastle to Brisbane Raw. Didn't work out with Fowler for whatever reason, a clash of styles, clash of personalities, and then O'Donovan then returned uh, to Newcastle. But um, it's been interesting because as it stands now, it's understood that the club are set to award the coaching reins to caretaker uh, Darren Davies, uh, who also assumed the caretaker role after John Aloisi left his post. Um, it's understood that he's been handed a one-season deal beyond the remainder of the current campaign. But... Thoughts on Brisbane because they too surprised me. I didn't expect them to creep up to fourth and I certainly didn't expect them to do, I suppose, that well under Fowler. I had my doubts, Joe. Well, yeah, I I think Fowler, Fowler certainly did a number of excellent things at Brisbane in the case that last season they copped the most goals in A-League history and then this season uh, I think they've only copped, what is it, around 24 uh, all year. So they've definitely been able to shut the gate. But I think Brisbane probably more so than Victory or Adelaide, who also lost coaches uh, during the pandemic break. I think Brisbane are going to be hit hardest by the departure of Robbie Fowler because not just, I mean, on the field, Brisbane, they were a very um, attritional outfit. They would, you know, they weren't too daring in attack. Um, they would boring. just pass the ball around. <laughs> yeah, basically. Agricultural, boring, yeah. get results you to tears and that, like I said they were another side that could be beaten simply by giving them the ball I think if you actually do it tallying them up and you look at their results when they have more possession versus when they have less possession they were a far far more effective side when they didn't have possession um, but I also think you look at Robbie Fowler's you know, his attitude, he seemed to be creating a bit of a siege mentality, us against the world at Brisbane Raw. Like you saw, like the argument he had with Rudin after the game, the way he would, him and his assistant, Tony Grant, would defend the club on Twitter. Um, there certainly seemed to be positioning on us against the world mentality. And if you are doing that, how does the club maintain that when the general and the two IC suddenly disappear? So it's going to be very interesting to see what happens with them going forward. Mm, of his record in 22 matches in charge, Fowler led the Raw to 10 wins, 5 draws and 7 losses in, of course, what was his full-time head coaching position. Their last game was against Newcastle Jets at Seabus Super Stadium on Friday the 20th of March in which they won 1-0. In terms of their next few matches that they've got coming up, They've, of course, got Adelaide, Melbourne Victory, Wellington Phoenix and Sydney FC. Stolich, thoughts around Brisbane Raw and the expectations you've put on them? Well, I'd just say uh, I think, you know, we talked about it before, but I thought Robbie Fowler was a big disappointment. I mean, you know, I said it before about his boring football, but how can a player who was so exciting to watch on the field be so boring as a coach off it? It was incredible. I mean, you're looking at the stats. It's uh, 25 goals they scored in 22 games. The only club to have as 
bad a record as that is the Mariners, who basically never even score. So I don't know. I I find Brisbane Raw. I think I don't think they were worth coming in fourth position. I think they kind of snuck in there because they played a few more extra games as well. Um, you know, Joe's right. Their defense was solid, and and what they did, they ground out results, but. I didn't see them doing anything with Fowler uh, when it came to the finals, and I don't think they'll do much uh, without him. And, you know, I know they've signed Matthew Redenton uh, in the last 24 hours and Danny Kim. I don't know how much that's going to add. I believe Aiden O'Neill has left the club. Uh, so, you know, that's going to be an issue. Um, but, yeah, no, I'm not expecting much from Raw. They will obviously make the top six, but they won't do much when they get there. Did Scott McDonald give them, Joey, the injection that they needed? Of course, he was hailed as a big signing when he joined Western United but then defected over to Brisbane Raw. Did you see enough from him? I think what Scott McDonald was, has been incredibly important to the Brisbane Raw. Before Scott McDonald arrived, I don't think they would have made finals, but he's given them just enough going forward in attack, both in terms of when he's on the ball, but also when he's off the ball and he's making runs and he's creating angles and he's opening up space to give them some sort of create, creative outlet. Him and Mirza Muratovic, when he's been injected into the squad to provide a bit of pace and some running and some, uh, some angles as well, I think those two have been more important. Scott McDonald more important, obviously, but I think I'm with Nick in the sense that I can't really see them doing much in finals, even um, before Robbie Fowler left, and especially now after, because I think, as I've said a few times, I think in finals you need to be have a you need to be capable of pressing the advantage and dictating the game on your terms. And the way Brisbane Raw was set up this season, you know, if say they go into a, an elimination final and they go one and they're one nil down after ten minutes against a good quality side. I couldn't see that Brisbane Raw side scoring two goals to come back and win the game. It's a real shame when you consider the the Raw Salona of old and what they used to be, particularly under Ange Postecoglou. Um, you've pretty much answered my questions about predictions on how far you could see them go come the final series. But uh, let's get the, some reaction from Jamie Young about what we can expect. I have to say that the, the guys have trained incredibly well. They have. They've really put some hard work in. Um, and, you know, and Darren and Warren as well have... You know, taking up the slack as well, and I have to say credit to the credit to the guys. They've really worked hard, and you can see that you know that humility from the guys to obviously you know go into training every day and do it properly. I think the main thing for us is is that work ethic and that mindset. You know, having that humility to turn up every day and play for the badge, but also you know that we're playing for the people of Brisbane as well. That's important. You know, that the people in our communities are looking for us um, you know to see how we're reacting in these times and uh, if we can give our best efforts uh, for them I think that means a lot especially for me being a, a Brisbane person myself you know it's that sort of added, added incentive. A proud club man there Jamie Young such a top bloke as well one of the loveliest dudes you'll meet uh, but you know I think he's also had some outstanding performances himself over the last few seasons as well has been a real feature for this Brisbane Raw outfit um, with or without the, the, the coaches taking the post but uh, I want to move on now to Perth Glory um, they've surprised me a little bit in, in terms of their performance 
as well. I expected them to be far further up the chain than what we're witnessing them uh, in fifth position now, four points behind Brisbane. Their last match was a nil-nil draw uh, away to Sydney FC on the 14th of March. They've been in pretty ordinary form, uh, but their last win was a 4-2 smashing of the Phoenix in February. Some rumblings, Joey, coming out of Perth that they are potentially in financial trouble. I know that uh, those of us within the football community have heard similar discussions during the rounds of allegedly Tony Sage trying to offload the club. I mean, we only have to cast our minds back to you know, a number of months ago when he was trying to sell it to, to a cryptocurrency uh, called the London Football Exchange, and that turned out to be quite the parody and, and really was entertaining for us all. But I'm glad that that didn't go through for heaven's sake. Um, but, you know, those are some of the things coming out of the club. Um, and also something interesting as well, we've seen a couple of player signings too in the last sort of few hours effectively. Um, they announced that they've signed uh, Thomas James for the remainder of the season. Now, he's a 27-year-old striker who scored 24 goals for Wollongong Wolves in the New South Wales and National Premier League last season, along with former West Sydney Wanderers midfielder and uh, Sydney United stalwart as well, Yanni Pergatis. Uh, so it's obvious that they're needing to make some adjustments now. They've lost the likes of Diego Castro, who cited um, that, uh, you know, coming back to play for the remainder of the season was an unacceptable health risk. That's a big loss. Um, it's a big loss for them. It's a big loss for us as fans watching Perth Glory, um, watching the A-League in general, because I think he's he's been one of our best imports in, the, in this country, in the A-League, in its history. Um, so that's also really disappointing. But Tony Popovich has also been back to his stern best, uh, smacking Nick D'Agostino. He said, we talk a lot about Nick D'Agostino, but he needs to know if he wants to be the best, he needs to present as the best, and he hasn't done it so far. So that's a player who's going to find it difficult to play. I don't care what code it is. You can't perform at your best unless you present in the right way. Talent alone is not enough, and a few of these boys have had a harsh lesson. Now, that's in reference to D'Agostino reportedly not taking care of himself and staying up to scratch during the COVID-19 shutdown. Joey, your reaction to all of this? It's obviously a lot to digest, but firstly, your thoughts on Perth uh, and, and where they're sitting on the table. Is that something that surprised you or is that where they precisely should be? Uh, well, I think per Perth are a weird side in the sense that if Perth score the first goal in a game, I will back them to beat anybody in this league just because that's the way that Tony Popovich's sides are and the way that they've been set up. If they can jam the first goal, I'd back them to beat anybody. But I think this season we've seen that, you know, maybe just the blessed run that they had last season, able to just basically streak the competition during the regular season, Maybe unable to maintain that. Maybe we've seen a bit of regression uh, to the meme, to the to the meme. Shout out to A League memes to the meme. Um, but I think heading into finals time now, I think the, the absence of Diego Castro is going to be huge because, especially following the injury to Chris Economides, I think that was probably one of the biggest outs of the A League season when Chris Economides went down and they lost him. In the absence of Chris Economides, so much of that Perth Glory attack started going through Diego Castro. So now you've got a situation where heading into the A League season you had Economides, Castro and Fornaroli, a three headed dragon of attacking talent. Mm -hmm. Now it's just going to be on Bruno Fornaroli going forward and for a Perth Glory side who aren't exactly the most free-flowing attacking thing, I just think that burden might be too much on Bruno Fornaroli. So I think they're really going to struggle heading into the last few weeks of the season. Mm, Stolich, anything to add to that? Some really good points made by Joey there. And you'd almost expect them to be doing better than what they are, to be fair. 
Uh, yeah, definitely. And I think you were right about the kind of right towards the end before COVID, they really struggled. One win in eight games. Um, there was real issues there. And like you say, I think Castro's fourth in the league for chance creation. So, you know, I think we're going to see Fornaroli's form suffer because he was quite reliant on his partnership with Castro. And, you know, if you think about uh, Fornaroli at his peak at Melbourne City, he was quite reliant on Aaron Moy as well, that kind of a creative number 10 to create so many great opportunities for him. So, Perth, I think if they are to have any success, and one thing they can kind of have a bit of hope is that their run-in is the Mariners, Knicks, Adelaide, Wanderers, Victory, Western United. I mean, outside of the Knicks, you know, that's only the team above them, basically. Uh, Western United, they're thereabouts. But you'd expect them to maybe, well, definitely pick up points against the Mariners, probably pick up points against Adelaide, Wanderers, and Victory. Um, So, yeah, that's what I think. I think Joey's right. It's probably going to be a lot of one-nil wins. Mm. Well, typical Tony Popovich football, which, of course, has been very effective. Okay, which other Australian coach can say that they've won the Asian Champions League trophy? Um, Their match, of course, uh, their first match is against the Mariners at Gosford Stadium this Saturday. Kickoff is at 5 p.m. So that's, again, an opportunity for them to pick up points if you're going to go off the Mariners' form throughout this season. But where do you have them placed come the final series, Joey? Can you see them doing some damage? Can you see them even potentially trying to defend their title in a grand final? Uh, I, unfortunately, you know, not to belabor a point, but given their inability to take the game to opposition and really fire back when they go down a goal, I can't see them doing much in finals in finals campaign. And on, and honestly, given the you know the current load that's going to be placed on Fornaroli, the loss of Castro, the absence of Economides, if there was any side that would slip out of the top six in the next weeks, I would say it probably be, would be Perth Glory. Mm, okay, well said, Mike Long. Ange won the AFC Asian Cup uh, country versus club. You're absolutely right, Michael, but I'm talking more domestic achievement as well. If you want to go down that path. Um, okay, let's hear from actually, we mentioned him there. Let's mention uh, Tony Popovich and, and hear what he had to say. I think uh, they've shown in the last month they've gone on with their work. Um, they're all happy to be back, the players that are here. Um, you know, they've, they've missed playing and missed training miss being amongst the group and uh, obviously the camaraderie that a dressing room can bring. Uh, so we've been very pleased, uh, firstly with the attitude of the players, um, the way they presented coming back after a few months off. So it's, uh, it's been positive. Enjoyable. Enjoyable, exciting. Um, if I said challenging, that's probably the wrong word because... Um, yeah, it, it's a profession that I that I love, that I enjoy, um, and I feel that you know through through time, through adversity, you learn and you improve and you evolve. And I think we've we've done that as a football club through this period, and I think we'll come out uh, a lot stronger. Mm, it'll be great to see uh, because I, I tell you what, Perth have had so much potential, and um, I was really devastated for them when they didn't win the grand final last year because I, I felt that they deserved it. But that's a byproduct of the system that we've created in Australia. It's not first past the post. You've got to get first past the post to win a premier's play that gets stuck in a cabinet that no one really cares about to then go on and play for a toilet seat. Funny old league, this A League. Um, I want to move on now to Western United, of course, the debutantes in this edition of 
the A-League. They are six on the ladder, four points behind the glory. Their last match was a 5-1 belting over Adelaide United away on the 7th of March. Now, some updates to their marquee signing, Panganiotis Corne has quit the club and returned to Greece. Uh, the midfielder signed a two-year contract and made 15 appearances for the club, scoring twice. Some positive news, Alessandro Diamante signed a two-year extension with the club. Uh, Western United, they too are a part of this Victorian contingent that are also serving their 14-day quarantine. Their first match is against the Victory on the 25th of July, and their following fixtures then include the Jets, Wanderers, Perth, and Sydney. So it's going to be a bit of a tricky run there, Joey, but um, how have you assessed Western United's first season in the A-League, firstly? Well, it's been a very interesting season, to say the least, for Western United in, in the sense that if you look at the the playing group that they ran out in round one, they're nigh on unrecognisable coming into the end of the season, giving all the different uh, players that are now residing in there and players that have come into the starting lineup and mid-season additions, mid-season uh, departures, I mean, which probably goes towards something when you say when you bring in a head coach after you've already signed a number of players, um, the the problems that you have with that. But I think Western United, I think it's definitely a pass mark for their first season. I think they're going to play finals in their first season. In general, if you're an expansion club playing finals football, you'd have to take that um, as a win. And I mean, looking forward, uh, we talk about the the loss of Paniotis Corne. Uh, he's a very big name, but honestly, looking on the field, I don't think, given what we've seen from Kone this season, I actually maybe don't think that's as big a loss for Western United as mm. name recognition might say. I mean, in the pre Western's two previous games uh, before the break, when they were absolutely going out and bashering Adelaide United in the Mariners, Kone didn't play in either of those games, and that's potentially where Western have looked the best they have all year, and I think given a chance maybe we get to see, you know, greater responsibility now for the likes of Max Burgess and uh, Stephen Lustitzer. So that could be a good thing for Western United, perversely, as it might sound. Mm, I'm going to say a great pronunciation there too. I'm very impressed, Joey Lynch. Well done. Oz Gunje, corner underperformed, not a big loss. That goes exactly to what you're saying there. I mean, he was a bit of a hit and miss, uh, Stolici. didn't seem to, to really set the world on fire or certainly the A-League on fire. But your thoughts overall on Western United, of course, I think it's fantastic to see the likes of Alino Diamante, who for me has just been such an exciting player to watch, and I'm glad that we get to see more of him in the next two years. But what have your impressions been? Yeah, I mean, I, I think I'm with Joey. That they've had moments where you've thought, oh, this is a really good team. You know, even their first game, you thought, oh, okay, these guys can really play some football. Rudin's done some good stuff. But, yeah, they've had a lot of uh, players uh, leave the club. Uh, Gullam, McDonald, Chapman, Yurtek, Gone. It it's, hasn't been – they've had a lot of turmoil. And then, you know, you talk about, on top of that, playing at three different grounds. Uh, that's been an issue for them as well. So, uh, yeah, Diamante has been fantastic for the league. Um, I wish he would stop shooting from so far out so often. That's one thing that kind of frustrates me about his game. Uh, although I have – He's going for the worldy stolage. Come on. Yeah, he's going – a lot of times for that world, about six times a game. Um, and I, I got to say, I'm loving his uh, Instagram updates. When when all this chaos was happening at the border and the flights, I mean, that was how we were all kind of finding out what was going on, translating Italian uh, at the time. So it, it, I think he's been he's been good for the league. But uh, yeah, as for the club, yeah, I think Connie isn't a big loss. I think he was a failure of a marquee signing. He didn't 
bring the fans to the stadium. He didn't perform on the field. And, yeah, it, it's disappointing. Um, but, yes, I do think hopefully they can build on those last two games where they scored 11 goals and uh, hopefully they continue that form. So we'll see. Okay, let's hear from uh, the great man Andrew Durante who had this to say. Yeah, it's been really, uh, I guess, unsettling time for, for everyone involved, you know, not just footballers, but all around the country, um, around the world. It's been a, a crazy time, nothing that any of us have ever experienced before. Um, yeah, for me personally, it's, it's, uh, it's been challenging. It's been uh, at home lockdown with the kids has been, uh, had its own challenges and obviously not being able to train with the group has had its own challenges as well. And, um, you know, I think it, it really puts a strain on, uh, you know, the wives now that we've traveled away, um, the partners that we leave behind. And um, it, it's, yeah, it's a, it's a tough time, um, but we're, we're glad now that we're back doing what we love and hopefully there's no more hiccups and we can finish off the season. So you've seen a lot in your career. You travel up to Sydney throughout last week. That was pretty interesting experience yeah it was uh yeah another interesting uh part of my my career and obviously a a different part of everyone's uh journey so getting up to new south wales we're getting it was you know two third attempt was uh was uh the the right one but uh so much uncertainty so you know it's changing you know every hour rules change and decisions change so it's just the you had to be adaptable. You really had to be adaptable. And, and I have to con- commend all the players. I think they've been unbelievable throughout this journey. Um, you know, not knowing if the league would start, taking pay cuts, um, being away from their family now for a significant amount of time. Um, you know, it's, it's credit to the players that we just want to get out there. We want to continue this season and, and get it finished and uh, hopefully put some smiles on the, on the faces of the people at home watching. Um, you know, hopefully some, some fans can come out and watch uh, you know, some of the games. So. You know, it'll be exciting. It's going to be an exciting finish. It's jam-packed uh, finish to the season. So, yeah, looking forward to it. Some positives, I guess, is our form. Yeah, I think, you know, just before COVID hit, we were, you know, one of the form teams. We, we beat Central Coast 6-2 and Adelaide 5-1 away from home. So we were really starting to enjoy ourselves again. And, and unfortunately, the, the COVID uh, crisis hit and, and we've had to take a back seat for a little while. But the boys are back in training, um, really enjoying it, really um, the boys will have a, a spring in their step that we're, that we're out, that we're allowed to train and um, looking forward to it, looking forward to in our inaugural season to, um, you know, be in that playoff spot and, um, you know, I think it'll be a really, really big achievement if the club can get you know, in those final series in, in their first year. And what is the target for the group now you're six on the table? Yeah, look, I think finals football is, is definitely our target, you know, where we're in the box seat at the moment, sixth position and... Uh, you know, our aim is to be in there, and that's all we're focused on. We're not focused on anything else but um, getting into those finals. And it's going to be challenging. There's going to be games coming thick and fast. Um, we're going to rely on our whole squad. There's going to be substitutes, uh, you know, players that probably didn't think they'd get much game time. Uh, we'll get a lot of game time now. And it's, I guess it's the teams who can manage those situations the best, the teams that can uh, rotate their team and, and keep everyone as fresh as possible in, in such a... Uh, jam-packed uh, amount of games in the in the coming month. Yes, it's certainly going to be a jam-packed schedule. Um, just quickly before we move on to the next club, Joey, they are in, as Jura put it, in the box seat for finals, but uh, they've also got some, some pretty heavy competition from Adelaide United. They're on equal points, so they're not exactly in a comfortable spot. But can you see them making it to finals? And if they do, can you see them causing much damage? 
Uh, I think they will play finals. As I said before, I think if any if Adelaide does replace any side in the top six, it will be Perth Glory. But um, and I think if if any side from the outside in is going to spring an upset, it might be Western United because I think in Marco Rudan they're a very well coached side. Um, but it's probably going to be a bridge too far for them to win a championship in their first season, I would imagine. Well, it would be an incredible feat if they did. Um, I want to know quickly before we move on, who have you got in the grand final? Because you haven't mentioned it yet. We've gone through all the teams and you haven't said to me who you can see playing in the final yet. Oh, no, I have Wellington Phoenix winning the championship. You have Wellington Phoenix winning the championship. Well, Stolich, what do you think about that? Uh, I think I would like to be Joey's bookmaker. Um, <laughs> I, I think uh, I think Wellington. I would say they're a good outside chance. I would still say Sydney are the favourites. A good outside chance. Well, I, I don't know that I could be that I could be persuaded into that belief. But Joey, I like your ambition. Number seven on the ladder. It's Adelaide United. They're on equal points, as I said. There with Western United. Their last match saw them lose three 0 to the Jets at Cooper Stadium on the fifteenth of March. They were in absolutely shocking form uh, leading up to the shutdown. They lost the last four games on the spin, conceding fifteen goals in the process. And their last win came in February, which was a 2-0 defeat over the Mariners. They've also lost their coach, Gertian Verbeek, as a result of the pandemic hitting and appointed former Adelaide legend Carl Viet as the interim. Stefan Mork spoke to the Fox Football podcast also and said that Carl's appointment was seen as a breath of fresh air, saying, I don't want to speak too much on the negative side of things with certain players and Verbeek, but I think a lot of players were happy to see Carl come in and take over now coming back. Now, Adelaide also received a big blow with news that their star player Maker James Troisi will be required to undergo knee surgery uh, to correct a bone spur in his right knee. The 32-year-old missed a chunk of games in February because of a thigh strain and was sidelined by a hamstring strain in January. Now, his return potentially, I know it's crazy because you consider that he's having knee surgery, it could hinge on Adelaide United making the final series. I don't know how quickly he will recover. The Reds also lost their second string keeper. This is an interesting one. Isaac who has opted to pursue a career in mixed martial arts. Now, it's not often you see that, whether we've got players leaving to pursue hip-hop careers, a la Joey Champness of the Jets in LA, or now you've got a player defecting entirely from the sport to pursue MMA. So we wish Isaac all the very best. Um, don't know personally why you'd ever want to leave football. I know that I never would. But, look, to each their own, we wish him all the very best. Um, it's been a bit of a mixed bag with Adelaide United, but this is a club that, uh, you know, they, they have such a, a proud and wonderful, rich culture of fans. Um, they, they they love their club ferociously. I think it's a club we can all agree we'd like to see, you know, getting back to, to great success because they certainly deserve it. They've got a great stadium there. Um, Carl Viet is an interesting appointment. Again, someone that has close connections to the club given his history with them. We're not sure who... Who is going to be the, the the main boss going forward? But at the at the minute, it seems as though they're quite happy, according to Stefan Mork. Um, Joey, your thoughts around Adelaide's form and what we can expect from them? Can you see them sneaking into the six? Oh, I, I can definitely see them sneaking into the top six. As you say, it's very tight in that in that you know bubble area on the finals thing. And I think maybe if they were to secure a place in the top six, Verbeek's departure probably would have been a blessing in disguise because Adelaide Adelaide only have one speed. 
let's face it, they are just full speed all the time. And that has presented a challenge with them. Maybe when they need to put their foot on the ball or change the tempo, they just haven't been able to do that. It's just been go, 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 go. And we've seen them suffer as a result. I mean, that last game they had before the shutdown against Western United, I mean, you, you go back and watch that game. They started like a house on fire. Kurtos goes down injured. The tempo is suddenly broken and they just don't have a plan B when it resumes and Western United go out and duly hammer them. Um, so I think, and that probably also plays out. You look at their record, they haven't drawn a single game all year. They either win or they lose. They've won nine, lost 12. So they really are an all or nothing side. So I think maybe they were getting a bit burnt out with Mr. Black Belt, Gertian Babik, who's now gone back to his cabin in the woods. So um, <laughs> if they are, if they were going to play finals football, I think the departure of Babik's probably a blessing in disguise for them. Mm, well, they seem to think so at this point. Let's hear from uh, Ben Halloran and hear what he had to say. I think the preseason itself hasn't been too challenging. We're in a bit of a bit of a bubble here. You know, we can't actually play any competitive games or anything. Um, I think the the period prior to the preseason was the challenging part. You know, the uncertainty of everything. Um, I think the boys are just enjoying being back together, um, and we're really looking forward to the to the first game. We haven't really sat down as a group and set any specific targets. I think we're sitting seventh on the ladder, so we obviously want to you know, push ourselves into the sixth and you know, consolidate a spot for the finals. Um, and then, yeah, once you're there, you know, anyone can you know, take it out. But I think we're just focusing on getting the team you know, fit and ready to go for the, for the first game and not looking too far ahead because you know, at the moment, we don't even know if, you know, to be brutally honest, if we want the season to, to finish, but I think that's the, that's the priority. Um, we're just trying to get everyone fit for the, for the first game. Mm, yay. Raise some doubt around whether or not we'll even see the season finish entirely. Um, and he's got every right to, given the, the hoopla that we're kind of surrounded by at the moment with COVID-19 and the uncertainty. Uh, Stolich, their first match, the Reds is that is, their first match is against Brisbane this Sunday, the 19th of July, and their following fixtures include the Phoenix, Perth, Sydney and Melbourne City. So it's not exactly an easy run-in if they are hoping to try and cement a spot inside the six. Can you see them doing that? Yeah, I think that's the big question mark. Uh, they would probably have the hardest run-in of all the teams kind of going for that final six spot. So I don't personally see them uh, making it. Uh, you know, I think also James Troisi is a big uh, loss as well on top of that. Um, so, yeah, I mean, like Joey says, you know, the, we're going to see – one or the other, the team that wins or the team that loses. Uh, I just think that some of those teams, especially Sydney, City, Perth and the Knicks, are going to be able to work out Adelaide and expose their weaknesses. Mm, okay, well, it'll be interesting times ahead for the Reds, who, like I said, the light still is there for them, but will they be able to keep it going into the final series? Uh, that still remains. Uh, moving on to Western Sydney, Wanderers a club, a massive, massive club here in Australia uh, with big expectations, but unfortunately they've capitulated to, to you know, a really awful season, uh, sitting eighth on the ladder, one point behind Adelaide and a potential final spot. Their last match saw them draw 1-1 with Sydney FC in the derby on the 21st of March. 
they've been in up and down sort of form, uh, Joey, you'd have to say, but they certainly picked up uh, off the back of Marcus Babbel's departure. And they also announced this week that caretaker coach Jean-Paul de Madigny will be deposed in the position until at least the end of the 2020-2021 season. So it's good to see them getting some stability going forward. The club have issued two KPIs to JP saying that what they want him to do is to win trophies and to develop youngsters. So that's their mantra going forward. Whether or not JP will be able to deliver that remains to be seen, but he's a top guy and a top coach who certainly done time um, throughout Australian football over the years and deserves a, a chance to, to be a head coach. But what's your assessment been of the Wanderers and, and why have they succumbed to, to such a disappointing low? Well, I think you know, a lot of the blame, blame, whatever you want to call it, has to come down to poor coaching under Marcus Babbel. I mean, this was a side that, you know, maybe they weren't the best playing group in the A-League coming into the season, but they certainly weren't as bad as what they were playing on the Marcus Bubble. I mean, that I mean, that was the impression. I mean, as a group of individuals, we saw that and we've seen the form turnarounds uh, once Bubble departed and uh, JP came in. Now, whether that was just new coach bounce and all of that is now dissipated with the pandemic break and all sense of momentum has been gone, uh, we will be able to, we will find, we will find out, I guess, moving forward, it's going to be a big test uh, for JP Demeringi if he can, because you, you talk about those two uh, KPIs that he's got, win, win trophies and develop youth. Well, I think research shows that in the A-League, the two are kind of diametrically opposed. The older your squad, the more likely you tend to be to win the, the championship, the research shows. So that's going to be quite a challenge for him moving forward if he is going to buck the trend and win with youth. Mm. Uh, so let's let's um let's hear what Bruce Kamau had to say about sort of the the, the preseason that they've gone through and the the challenges throughout that period, as well as what targets they've ex exceeded or expected for themselves for the remainder of the season. Yeah, it's been tough, but to be fair to all the boys and the coaching staff, everyone's excited to be back and and getting things back on track. So that's kind of uh, overruled over the the hard sessions and and tough days. Uh, given your position on the table, which uh, what targets have you has the club set for the remainder of the season? I think everyone's in in the same boat in that we want to make the finals, and I think that it's definitely a big possibility, and it's just a down to us and and what we do. Yeah, sorry, I've had to just, um, reposition myself closer to my charger over here. <laughs> it's, been a, it's been a bumper of a show here today, so we're just um, going along with the trend as best as we can. But, yeah, Bruce Kamau there stating what you'd like to say is probably fairly the bleeding obvious for West Sydney Wanderers in this situation. They will, of course, be aiming to finish in a finals position. But can they actually do it, Stolich? What's what's your view of the Wanderers and what can we get out of them in these next uh, few no, I think they're probably just too far away, and I think uh, Western United will hold on to their position. Uh, I think they'll improve, but also I'm, I'm wondering who's going to play in goals because you've got Lopar is still in Switzerland. He hasn't come back. Uh, yeah. Janjetovic is injured, so you're looking at, uh, I think it's Nick uh, Summon and Tristan uh, Prendergast. I gotta be honest, I haven't seen too much of those guys. So maybe they'll surprise us. But you know, when you're down to your third string and your emergency signed goalkeeper, it's usually not a good sign, especially when you need to make up points. Mm.
couldn't agree more. It will be interesting to see how the Wanderers sort of uh, regenerate themselves going forward as well. It's good that they've got some stability. And also, shout out to the club as well for appointing an Australian manager. I think we're starting to see that trend formulate across the A-League now, which has been wonderful to see. Moving up to ninth, we are almost uh, down to the very bottom of the table there. Newcastle Jets, they are ninth, two points behind Adelaide and a potential final spot. Their last match was a 2-1 win against City at home on the 23rd of March, which is also incidentally the last game of the season before we went into that shutdown period. They were in solid form prior to uh, the shutdown. The Jets also played out a scoreless draw with the Wanderers in a friendly at Plume Park this week. Now, FFA has also, this is another interesting narrative um, to the club, the FFA has told absent Newcastle Jets owner Martin Lee to either start reinvesting in the club or potentially face losing his licence. Lee, who is the chief of the, the Shen Gen based Ledman Group effectively stopped financing the Jets last October and CEO Laurie McKinna, a great guy and someone that's been involved within Australian football for many years now, has apparently been working feverishly feverishly to get a takeover deal with a mystery Western Sydney-based businessman over the line. Take that how you like, but they are in interesting times. And again, another club who has a very strong following, a proud, rich heritage of football supporters up in the Hunter region. They've been disappointed with the fact that post that grand final, they've seen a new owner come on board and they haven't really had the investment that they deserve. But uh, where where have you seen sort of their season uh, so far, Joey, and how have you placed them? Uh, obviously quite disappointing um, at the beginning to the season under Ernie Merrick. They clearly weren't going to do much. And then when they got hammered by a Melbourne victory side that hadn't you know, been that much impressive Impressive either during the season. The writing was really on the wall. I think they have turned it around with the Carl Robinson. They have played some decent football. They have been desperately unlucky at times throughout the season with the amount of shots that they have that just somehow uh, don't go in. Uh, it would be remiss of me. I have a friend that would be very angry at me if I didn't mention they possibly have the best midfielder in the league in Steven Yugarkovic, um, who can do things on his day. But, um, yeah, I just feel as though only four games remaining on their slate. They might have left their run a bit too late. But, you know, given what we've seen under Carl Robinson, Carl Robinson seems to be uh, committed to this club. He seems to be committed to the task at hand. If he can stick around, I think they'll be well placed. And in the short term, lots of drama over ownership. But in the short term, I can't see that affecting players because even if the, a new owner poured a billion dollars into the club, that's not going to help them right now. But going forward, that's going to be a real big issue for them. Mm. Yes, well, apparently the well-sourced play, a well-sourced uh, person has told the FFA that the owner has to start investing or the licence will be taken away. Their first match is against Sydney FC on the 21st of July at Jubilee Stadium with the following fixtures, Stolich against the Mariners, Western Sydney and the Phoenix. What are they playing for? If it's not a final spot, what are they hoping to achieve? I mean... You can look at kind of these last three teams as starting to prepare for next season already. I guess preseason for them starts now. So, you know, you, you're looking at planning for the next season, whether that's, you know, looking at who's going to be around next season, bringing through youngsters, squad cohesion, maybe taking some risks with your starting 11, see kind of what works, what doesn't. Um, you know, in terms of uh, Newcastle, they're going to play against Sydney and Wellington, who are two of the best teams in the competition. So they're going to get a great test. They've also got the derby against the Mariners. So 
that should be good for them as well. But yeah, it, it's been a disappointing season, and I would say that yeah, they need to start looking for next season. Okay, let's hear from uh, the great Nigel Bugard on what he had to say uh, on the expectations they've put on themselves for the remainder of the season. How challenging has it been to go through, I guess, a mini pre-season after the COVID break? Yeah, obviously very different to, to what we encounter at the start of the season, a season, a 16-week pre-season, very different than a few weeks to prepare for, for the remainder of the season. And um, obviously the, the challenges to get fit in time um, and also um, match speed, obviously, through, through what's going on. There's certain protocols which mean we can't really play trial matches and things like that. So obviously challenging, um, but at the end of the day, everyone's in the same boat. So just looking forward to, to getting back on the park competitively and uh, see where everyone's at. And given our position on the table, what are the, what are the boys, what's the club, I guess, targeting for the remainder of the season? Yeah, so four games to go. Uh, we obviously finished the, the last period on a high and, and, and with some momentum. So for us, it's it's about maintaining that, um, building on that, and uh, hopefully we can get four four wins and, and push for a, a spot in the six because at the end of the day, that's, that's what we're here for. So focus on that first game and, and what we can do to get across the line and then uh, worry about the remaining games after that. Well, they'd certainly love to do that, but it may be a bridge too far for the Jets, unfortunately, this season. They do, uh, you know, they have the opportunity now to uh, start preparing for next season. As you said there, Stolich, I want to move on to Melbourne victory, 10th on the ladder. My gosh, who thought that we'd be actually saying this about the great Melbourne victory? Seven points off a final spot. Their last match was a 3-0 loss away to the Phoenix on the 15th of March, and they've only won it twice since January. My gosh. They sacked Michael Kurtz after a horror run of results and appointed uh, Carlos Savachua as the caretaker before he decided to return to Europe during this pandemic period. They recently announced that Grant Brebner would assume the caretaker role. They also lost to Ola Toivonen, who returned to Europe to sign with Malmö uh, Stolich. Their first First game is against Western United on the 25th of July, and they too are the last of the Victorian clubs serving this quarantine period. How have you described this epic call from Grace? Uh, extremely disappointing. Um, and I, I just wonder how the players are feeling, and probably, Joey, maybe you can speak to this more, but... You know, one thing is to end a season when you've only got, you know, four or five games left and you know that you're not going to make the finals and, you know, obviously there's no relegation. So, you know, you know there's not all that much to play for. But on top of that, you have to leave your family, go into camp and, you know, spend all this time away from, you know, your home just to basically play out the rest of the season. So it's going to be very... I'm very interested to see what they do. Uh, I hope they plan for next season. I'd like to see, you know... Robbie Cruz got on the field. I think in his limited time that he played, he was good uh, for them. And I think, you know, they need to give their fans some hope because uh, obviously they're the biggest club in Australia. And I think, you know, it's probably unacceptable for the biggest club in Australia to be 10th in an 11-team competition. The question that we're posing to all of our Facebook and Twitter users, by the way, good afternoon to you again. If you are just joining us, welcome along to our A-League preview show. We are on the cusp of wrapping up shortly as we make our way through to the, the, the last team on the ladder. But the victory, what can be done to salvage a horror season? We want to know from you. What are your thoughts? Joey, we'll start with you first. What can they do to try and restore some pride and, uh, and, rep- and I guess, avoid some further reputational damage? To be honest, 
there's not a lot that they really can do at this point. For a club like Melbourne Victory, where championships and premierships are the expectation, not the aspiration, the fact that they are pretty much nailed on to miss finals football means that this season is a failure no matter what happens in the club's remaining games. And then you've also got to take into account that pretty, I think they've only got four players under contract for next season. So maybe a few players are playing for their future at the club, but some other players have already signed with other clubs. So we don't know about that. We've got no idea who will be coaching with them. There are rumours of coaches that will be brought in, but we're not certain about that. All we know is that it won't be Grant Brebner because he has ruled out uh, going for the job. So not a lot to look forward to for Melbourne Victory. You know, as mentioned, they've had to go into the hub. Tim Hoogland's departed the club because he didn't want to go into the hub. I remember speaking to him two weeks ago. He was keen to play, not keen to go into a hub. So I don't think there can be any doubt as to why he's gone back to Germany. And I think uh, maybe you're talking about what's the mood in Melbourne of Drew Campbell. I think it kind of could be summed up by saying Ola Toivonen was just so done with playing for victory and being in Australia that he's left Australia and gone back to one of the hardest-hit countries in Europe by COVID-19 because he was just that done with being in Australia. <laughs> That's horrible when you put it that way, isn't it? My gosh, you, you're that yeah. done that you're just happy to throw yourself in the ring of fire into one of the most, you know, affected countries for this virus. Um, that's trending globally. It's awful. Um, but, you know, the, the whole sentiment among the fans, I know Santina Mamone, uh, one of our regular top fans here uh, via the World Game Show, is a big fan of the victory. Obviously, he's been very devastated by what's going on there at the moment. But Ivan Stargan has written to us, uh, another one of our top fans via Facebook. Good afternoon to you, Ivan. If victory can't sign Popovich, I'd get John Anastasiadis. Knows what success means at a massive club like South Melbourne at the time and his recent success at Bentley. Of course, that might pose a bit of a problem because he's an assistant over at Western United um, and Rude might not be that happy to see him go. But thoughts around, uh, you know, who the victory should be targeting going forward. I know that Upatale was potentially touted as someone that could come into that position as well. So what are your views? Um, I... Well, no. Oh, sorry, go, sorry. You go, Joey. No, so I just just thinking... The, I think the question has to be not just who should victory target, it's who victory will target. Because the mm -hmm. victory job is unique in the sense that they don't just want a coach, they want an ambassador. They want somebody that's going to have the sponsored lapels on the collar. They want somebody to speak at victory in business lunches. So that's got to be in contention when you're talking about this. Well, Kevin Muscat's unavailable, clearly. Um. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, you know, what a ball from grace it's been from the Muskie era. You know, I'm a massive fan of Kevin Muscat. I think what he did at that club was just sensational. The football he played was fantastic. But, Stolich, over to you again. Um, you know, who, who should they be looking for in addition to them being a potential ambassador? Is it someone Australian? Does it have to be someone that's Australian? Uh, no, I think it obviously helps. I and mean, we've talked about why it helps so much because we are such a unique league with our unique circumstances, salary cap, no relegation, finals football, um, sometimes being relocated to another state because of COVID, whatever it is, uh, I think it helps. But yeah, it's an interesting one when you, when you start to think about it and you think, you know, it's such a massive job, you know, it's not with the greatest respect. I think it's one of the biggest jobs in Australian football and if you look at it, you know, it's big personalities who have done well there. It's Kevin Musket. It's Ange Postacoglu. It, it's, you know, Ernie Merrick kind of back in, in the day, although that was quite a long time ago now. 
I'm not sure uh, who they will go after. Um, but, yeah, it, it will be interesting. Ufuk Tale, uh, he's done very well this season. Is that a big step up for him as well to go victory? And does he want to leave Wellington, who he's done really well with? It is a big club and a big opportunity, but there's a lot of uncertainty also around the future of Wellington Phoenix. Don't forget, I think that any club or any coach that's in a position where he's actually looking to advance his career would never balk at the opportunity to take on a, a big club like Melbourne Victory. Uh, let's hear from a, another big player that's uh, been a part of Australian football for many years now, the great Robbie Cruz, and, and what he'll have to say. Again, Yeah, it's been difficult. Um, probably more so like everyone else probably knows the the circumstances we've been obviously been put under so um it's been really challenging probably more so mentally than than anything else so um yeah the boys have been really professional in the way we've gone about things uh, hopefully everything goes to plan and we can you know hopefully put all that into into that practice into into the games Graham Bre uh, Graham Bremner is the uh, new head coach how's he been with the group and uh, what's his training been like yeah, he's been really good. Um, you know, I was fortunate to play with Brebsy 12, 13 years ago when I started my career here. Um, yeah, he's been excellent. Obviously, you never know how it's going to go when he transitions into the, the head coaching job. So, yeah, he's been first class. Um, you know, the boys are really buzzing off him. We're really enjoying training. He puts on the excellent sessions. Um, you know, he has that feel of, you know, obviously he, he didn't retire too long ago, so he still has that feel of that what the players need and what the players are going through. So. He hasn't been too pushy or too overbearing. He's um, you know, been really good, and it's been really you know refreshing to, to have that you know type of character in the, in the in the change room. So the boys have um, you know taken everything he said on board, and you know he's integrating a lot of new youth players into our system. Obviously, we lost a fair few players, so um, it's been really good so far, and um, you know we're really determined to hopefully first and foremost get the wins and, and hopefully help Brebsy out in, in the start of his coaching career. What's the hopes for the last five games? Um, personally, is you know obviously just to get to get through the five games. Um, it's been a difficult season for me, obviously injury wise. So that's probably my goal. Um, obviously the situation. I, I went into the COVID break with with a ha mid hamstring tear, so obviously it wasn't ideal heading back home and not being able to get treatment. So um, so it's been difficult, but feeling good now. As a team, I guess it's obviously to, to finish the season off on a high. It's been you know not a great season in regards to the performances, um, you know, as a club, as a whole, and, and as obviously as a playing group. So, you know, we have to take that, you know, criticism and, and hopefully, you know, turn the performances around and try and get something positive out of the season. Yes, Robbie Cruz, a great guy there. They are certainly looking to restore some pride within the club now. Um, I've noted that uh, Hassan Bertan has written, I heard former Greek international Delas is getting the Melbourne victory coaching job. Yes, Trajanos. Delas has apparently been linked to the club. Uh, contracts are allegedly being drawn up. I'm not sure how true that really is at this point, but uh, they certainly need to appoint someone that understands the, 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 the importance of the role and also just how big of a job they're taking on with Melbourne Victory. But I think we can all agree that we'd like to see them back playing the, the, the good football that we knew and loved them for. We're moving on to the final club uh, in our A-League preview. And of course, it is none other than the Central Coast Mariners. Surprise, surprise. Unfortunately, they are last on the ladder. 14 points off a final spot and get this 
35 points off first place Sydney FC. I mean, the gap is just so enormous for such a small team competition. Uh, for them, 35 points off the pace is really quite scary. Their last match was a 4-2 loss at home to Melbourne City on the 20th of March. They've won four matches in 22 games, drawn once and lost 17 of them. And the Mariners, though... In a more positive vein, have emerged as one of the big winners of the A-League's amended draws with three of the club's four remaining games to be played at home. And coach Alan Stajic said, our intention is to go out there and win every game, put on a show for our fans, and if there's an opportunity for some of them to be at matches, then that is something we would certainly look forward to. Unfortunately, we've had to watch a horror show uh, that is this club over the last few years. It's just been so devastating because, you know, from having been out at the Central Coast for a year myself and, and seeing the club and the fans especially dealing with a lot of them um, you know they're such passionate people and and these are this is a community and a group of people that really just want to see success restored in the Central Coast region and and they certainly deserve it but I feel like and I've written about it already um, I feel like they're unfortunately at the mercy of an owner who is not interested in investing in the football club and giving Alan Stajic and his staff and, and his entire team and the players the best op the best possible opportunity to succeed, uh, Joey. And once again, they're staring down the barrel to finish last for the third time in fourth years. It's really disappointing reading. Um, their first game is against Perth at Gosford Stadium this Saturday, the 18th of July. Kickoff is at 5pm. A reminder to everybody tuning in, there will be opportunities for fans, a limited number of fans to go to games now, which is exciting considering the situation that we're in. So I would encourage you all to take that chance before we could invariably end up in another lockdown. Fingers crossed that's not where we go here in New South Wales, but, uh, you know, get out and watch some football, people. We're glad the bloody hell that it's back. Um, but they're following fixtures. Unless you've been in southwest Sydney in the last week, then don't worry yeah, about it. Stay home. Shut the hell up and don't go anywhere. Um, but the following fixtures for them are against the Jets, Western Sydney, and the victory. Joey, what's your assessment been of the Mariners? And anything to add to the little rant that I've just dished out there? Well, I mean, you're talking about they're about to get their third wooden spoon in four years. They're 35 points off first place in an 11-team league. I mean, salary cap certainly doing a bang-up job on that front, isn't it? Keeping parity. But, um, I mean, uh -huh. I don't, who knows? Maybe they could stick Marvin up front and get some better results this season. I've been reliably informed nobody says no to Marvin. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, it's it's been a really... What can you say? It's it's so disappointing. We, we, we've seen how good the Mariners can be in the past, winning championships under Rani, bringing up the likes of Amini and and Duke and Matty Ryan and so, bringing through such prestigious talent. But you're right, it maybe feels as though as the A-League improved, more money came in, there was more professionalism, the Mariners just got left behind. And now we're sitting in a situation where, I mean... They, it got so bad at one point where people actually figured out that the Mariners could somehow be relegated from a league with no relegation. That's how bad it's been um, in Gosford in recent years. So, yeah, hopefully they improve. I mean, but it also could be said that if they keep going the way that they are, it, they're perhaps one of the greatest advertisements for why we need promotion and relegation. You've talked about the need for further investment. Well, what's, you know, there's currently no stick to force investment short of the FFA threatening to revoke the licence. So, mm. you know, that's something to discuss. But, like, hopefully for the sake of the fans in Gosford, they can turn it around next season and, if nothing else, not finish last. 
Mm. They finished last last season, Stolich, as we look to wrap up the show. Uh, and unfortunately, Mike Mulvey was sacked after what was a really, uh, you know, difficult spell for him at the club. But uh, Alan Stachich, of course, has been given the faith reportedly by all understandings of the board and by the owner, Mike Charlesworth. But if they finish last, I mean, what does that bode for him in the playing group? Well, like you say, it's so hard to judge because it doesn't seem to really matter who's in charge or what players they sign. They've, they've been awful. I mean, like I just looking at this their table, 22 games played, four wins, 17 losses, 51 goals conceded. I, would an NPL team do that much worse in the same situation? Would if, if you took, you know, the best under 21 players in Australia and put them all together – would they do any worse? I'm not sure. And, you know, I don't mean that to be disrespectful to the Mariners. I, I want them to be a great club. It's a, it's a great stadium. You know, I, I think it's, it's, it was great back in the day when they had so many young Aussie players coming through and Graham Arnold had great success there. So that's what we want to see them back at. But right at the moment, it's just you have no hope for them. You pretty much look at their fixtures as a chance for everyone else to pick up three points. Yeah, it's just been such a, a tough run of, uh, you know, seasons for the Mariners, unfortunately, and you feel like you're bashing a kitten every time you talk about them because they continue to fall short of performing um, well at all. And, and to make finals football, it seems like is, is such a, a dream for them at this point. But they certainly do have a challenge ahead of them. Um, and I, I want to just get some, some views from Daniel De Silva before we wrap up the show on what we can expect from them. Yeah, look, uh, of course, you know, obviously nothing good about the pandemic. Um, you know, it's good that to see that slowly starting to get better. But, you know, three and a half months without football, um, you know, that's the longest personally I've ever gone without football. Uh, I'm sure it's probably the same for the rest of the team as well. So, um, you know, I think most players are kind of itching to get back out there, you know, have a bit of a kick around. Um, so, yeah, you know, it's been a tough pre-season. You know, we haven't had too long to, to get fit, to prepare for the matches. But, um, yeah, you know, we've worked hard and, you know, we feel like we, we've prepared well for the upcoming four games. Yeah, yeah I guess for, for us as a team, you know, um, we really are in a position where we've got nothing to lose. Um, so, you know, for us, we just want to go out there each, each game and, you know, win all four games and, and play as best as we can. Um, you know, of course, as well, we don't want to finish on the bottom of the ladder. So that's a big goal for us as well. And, you know, we just take each game as it comes. And, um, yeah, you know, hopefully I'll be able to help the team to win those games, you know, score some goals and make some assists. And, yeah, you know, as it's four games, quick turnaround. So, um, yeah, you know, like I said, we've got nothing to lose. And, you know, we're going to go out there guns blazing and just do the best that we can. No, they certainly don't have much to lose, but it would be nice for the Mariners to end on a good note. Gentlemen, thank you. My goodness for your company today. It has been an absolutely epic show. We've had so much to get through, of course. A, a massive talking point for us has all been about the competition resuming, and we're finally at that point. Thank goodness. Uh, after all this up, after all this upheaval that we've experienced due to the, the COVID-19 uh, pandemic shutdown, it's, it's nice to actually look forward to something, and that, of course, is my personal highlight, is it will be able to watch some football and you'll be able to watch a hell of a lot of football uh, over the next 34 days starting from tomorrow. Of course, the first game is going to be between Sydney FC and Wellington Phoenix and check your local guides for details on the, this massive bumper schedule that will take place over the next 34 days. Joey Lynch, our wonderful freelance journalist and ESPN Australia correspondent, it's been such a joy to have your company and don't you dare go too far because we are going to be getting you back on the world game here. You pass this wine colours. We love you. We adore you. Thank you for everything today. It's been a real treat. 
Oh, well, thank you very much for having me and I will be very happy to come back whenever I am needed. Good man. And to everybody that's tuned in today, it's been fantastic to have your company as well. We, of course, will be looking forward to, as I said, the football resuming tomorrow and we will be providing a running coverage, whether that's on our website, theworldgame.com.au is your place to go for all of your latest news stories, not just domestically but also globally. We've got plenty of opinion pieces and videos doing the rounds as well, so make sure you stay across that as well. So that you have been outstanding as always. Thank you so much. We hope that everybody is liking our new look show, hey? It's looking a bit fancy there. These days now, mm, yeah, yeah, we, we're getting there. We're getting there. Uh, hopefully, let us know your thoughts, guys. Let us know some feedback on what you'd like to see and what you'd like to talk to. Uh, what you'd like us to talk about? Sorry, it's been a long show. I cannot talk. That's been a long show. A league memes. Do this more often, guys. Just a league. We do love it, and you'll have plenty more a league coming your way. And we, of course, here at the World Game, will be providing you with some great conversational platforms to engage with us. So, thank you so much for your company, guys. Wherever you are across the country, we urge you all to stay safe. To stay safe. Take care of each other. Those of you in Victoria, particularly you, Joey Lynch, we're thinking of everybody. Those in New South Wales as well. We are staring down the barrel of morning time. So make sure that you take care of one another. But thank God, football is back baby the beautiful game we've got plenty to look forward to so on behalf of myself Stolich Joey and the entire team at the world game it's thank you so much and we'll see you again next week take care